I like it. I love it. I, I want, want some, some more, more of it. it. What was that about? Dr. Pepper? Uh, it's a Tim McGraw song. So not Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined by Scott Melson. What's up, man? You're grooving again to the new music tonight, Scott. I'm like I'm a really big fan of it. I just like I like the I like that that vibe. I just Yeah, I like it. I like the electronic bluesy vibe. <laughs> well that's great. Uh, we're excited for you to be here. Thanks for everyone. Thanks for listeners tuning in. This is our I don't remember what number this is, second or third episode of twenty twenty. Uh, it's the I think it'll be the second one we've released, the third we've recorded. That's true. We had one that didn't work out, right? Yeah, we had a, a technical a technical issue which we have since rectified by spending more money. That's right. Uh, we were we got a new mixer board and we're using it again today and we uh, just successfully sold our other one. So yeah, hats like off a- to Sean, the karaoke god of Oklahoma, who bought our old mixer board. So today, Scott, we have a very important announcement and then a very important subject to discuss it is a very important announcement and one that one that we are extremely excited about i am excited and i believe this other person is excited as well uh, and that announcement is that beginning next week we're gonna have a third voice on the podcast on a regular basis we are uh we are pleased uh ple- beyond pleased thrilled excited uh ecstatic to announce that bailey perkins hi formerly of uh She's worked in she's worked in a lot of different areas here in Oklahoma City. She recently was a part of uh, Congresswoman Kinderhorn's legislative staff in D.C. She's recently returned to Oklahoma City, where she is working as the uh, legislative liaison, yes, for the regional food bank. Yes, I uh, both of those banks. She is going to be uh, a a a regular host here on the show, and we are absolutely thrilled to have her voice be a part of our discussion every week. Yeah. So next week, uh, with the next week will be the state of the state address, and we'll move into. Um, really talking about like what's going on week to week at the state capitol and and bailey will um be here to share a different voice a different perspective um in several ways so we're really 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 excited about that uh she's she's, it's it's gonna dramatically improve the quality of the podcast that's 100 true she is she is at baseline way more qualified to talk about this than either of us so um (laughs) it's uh it's gonna be it'll be it'll be good for us we'll we'll start riding her coattails next week that's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, well, and then on that note, I guess let's just this week's going to be our last one, but pre-session. Sure. Just so let's just get, get into, into it, it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for the 2020 Predictorama. How was that? That was that was excellent. Was that an applause. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> you've you've, uh, you've uh, mastered the you've, new mixer you've board. Found your button. So That's we we've, we've got our uh, we've got our predictor rama ready to go. Several bills we're going to go through here. Um, just before we get started, uh, Andy, do you have any idea how many bills are uh, how many total bills were filed this year? So roughly, uh, there was just over two thousand bills, I believe, filed this year. However, they get added to all the bills that are still alive from last year. Right? That is true. So I. So there's like four thousand altogether. Yeah, I think right around twenty three hundred newly filed bills this year. Uh, how many of those do you think are shell bills, Andy? Ooh, I don't have any idea about this, Scott. I do. I'm going to say 
336. 600. Holy Moses. Six, 600 plus, just a, just a skosh past 600 shell bills out of 2,300. So of, that's just 600 that were of the new ones that were filed. Yeah, yeah. I've only looked at three shell bills. Yeah, so that's almost 25%, about 25% of the bills have no language. They're shells. They're just waiting to have language inserted into them, potentially at the last minute, um, and passed. Just like a Bricktown water taxi without any people in it. Just waiting to shuttle folks from one end of the legal system to the other. Hey, those have like people in them sometimes at Christmas. They no, they do. They're full a lot of the time. Have you Are ever they? been on one? It's been a, it's been a minute. It's legitimately fun. I'll be honest. Even having lived here, because uh, I don't well, I don't hang out in Bricktown a lot, and a lot has been built and developed. And um, Chad Huntington, who's a, a good friend, runs those. We should have him on the podcast. I would be curious to know what their ridership is. I would too, and it's um. It's really cool. It's surprisingly cool. I think it's one of those things that as locals we take for granted, but um, probably folks from out of town enjoy it. But I went with uh, my family a couple of years ago, like on uh, during a holiday season, and it was really very enjoyable. They have good tour guides. That was the last time I went as well. It was Christmas probably five years ago. Yeah, things things have changed. Okay, back to the Predictorama. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, the rules for this are simple, and we will be publishing this uh, on the internet, social media and stuff later today or at the same time that we we publish this podcast. Um, the rules are simple this year. Either you get it right <laughs> so or you don't. This year. Yeah, last year was like, if you get it right, you get a point. If you lose one, it's, uh, there's some math involved and it was a pain for us to score. And so this year we're going just straightforward. You either get the questions right or you don't. So we have a number of bills. I don't. I lost count, but we've got a number of bills and a few issues that, to track, just to make this a little fun, kind of like fantasy football, but without the head injuries. And we will um, the scoring simple. So you get you get a point if you get it right, or no points if you get it wrong. And then at the end, there's a tiebreaker question in case we need that. Um, and I think we may offer two awards this year, two prize packages: one for whoever gets the highest score. And then another for whomever beats Scott and I. I like it. Are we? I I don't know how to publish this. I I think as we go along, let's each record our scores privately, our 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 votes, right? Like if you think it's going to pass or not, we may talk about a few of them. But you can feel free to have a few quiet ones there, secret ballot. I was just going to fill out the form. Right. So I'm saying. Yeah. And then uh, and then we'll have it on there, and we can we can put it out. Um, you know, one rule that we should have this year we didn't have last year is that legislators are not allowed to play. Does that seem fair? I think that's very fair. I feel like last year we had a legislator that won, and even they were like, there. can I win that? <laughs> there. Inside info. If you have that kind of inside info, if it's your bill, you, <laughs> you, right. you can't play. <laughs> um, sorry, folks. Um, so um, I, will, I will add that right now. Okay, so thanks for bearing with me as I type that. Okay, well, let's just go through these, Scott. We'll go in order. Um, the first bill is House Bill 3316 from uh, Representative Blanchett. This would basically make uh, automatic voter registration a thing. So whenever you go to like get your driver's license, you would be automatically registered to vote. Something we support as an organization. Yeah. It helps uh, like reduce the friction, right, in trying to get registered it makes it a little easier for people to register to vote yeah it's a great bill i would love to see this happen i think states where they have automatic voter registration have done quite well and so that's uh that's a good thing yeah. 
next up we've got SB 1282 from Senator Julia Kurt, friend of the show, friend of the show, past guest, Senator Kurt. Yeah. Did we have her on? We did. We did have her on. Uh, This establishes a date that Oklahoma's online voter registration system must be operational. This is a big deal. So there were laws passed several years ago that would establish the system, um, but they people keep dragging their feet and and I talked to Senator Kurt about this and what she told me was that the reason it's not happened is that the election board is allegedly waiting on like DPS or someone to connect it's like a data connection thing and so she wants to establish a date I believe the date is March 1st of 2021 I think it's pretty ambitious so interesting um so We'll go with that. I mean, that's a tough one. I want to say that it's going to be signed into law, but I am slightly pessimistic about this. <laughs> we'll see. I'm very pessimistic about it. I have no doubt. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what I voted. but Listeners, <laughs> vote your conscience, as they say at the Capitol. Vote your conscience. What does that mean? This is a, this is a debate for another day, Scott. Are legislators supposed to vote their conscience or vote what their district wants? Well, I mean, I think it's I, I if you're going to get like really down into like the like definitions, you're asking, is our system of government a democracy or a republic? Right. Uh, right. Because yes. like in a republic, you are supposed to elect people to make decisions for you. Right. In a democracy, you're supposed to do what the majority wants. So right? that's like, uh, yeah, I guess. But knowing how low voter turnout is and voter participation, which we would love to change, I guess. That does make it difficult, right? Right. I mean, and, and it's just two different philosophies, right? Like, there's one philosophy that says we should elect the people who we think would be best at making decisions about complex issues on our behalf. And if we disagree, we should vote for someone else the next time. Right. Or we should vote for people who, who we think are going to do the things that we want them to do. Right. And now with technology, we could almost just put everything to a vote of the people, which right. I think is probably a bad idea. Agreed. Um, however, okay, anyway, let's continue. With the Predictorama. I'm going to use that several times today, if you haven't already guessed. Um, so the next one is um, uh, Senate Bill 1474 from Senator Nathan Dom. one of two bills that he has on our game this year. And it would allow that any elected, non-elected, or otherwise appointed state official or member of a state board or commission to be impeached. So Not this- just because it's... Now it's the governor and like the justices of the Supreme Court, I think. This would basically say any of these cabinet members, state agency heads, any of these folks can be impeached. So one one thing to think about here, dear listener, is you, you're you a stratagem that you might employ if you're a close capital follower. Let's be honest. If you listen to this podcast, you probably are. Is, All three of you. Thank you. <laughs> right, thanks. thanks for being here. Um, is you can't just think about how popular this would be among the legislator among the legislature if it came to a vote, right? You have to think about whether or not it's going to come to a vote, right? There's 4,000 bills, right? A bunch of those aren't even going to get heard in committee, right? And even once they get heard in committee, might not make it out of committee. And even if they get out of committee, they won't necessarily come to the floor, right? So like, this is a bill that I'm thinking to myself, if this comes to the floor, do I think it's going to pass? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think it probably would. Well, but it's got to pass both chambers. Right. But I also wonder, is this a bill... That's going to get a hearing. Right. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I don't know. But that's something to think about. Well, and and could it get out of the out of the Senate, but not past the House? Like, there's always that too, right? 
Pressing onward, we've got a bill, House Bill 2986 by Representative Forrest Bennett. Uh, he raises the minimum wage to $9.25 an hour in 2021, then $10 an hour in 2022, and then $11 an hour in 2023. So it's a gradual increase in the uh, yeah. minimum wage. I wasn't sure how to talk about this to describe the fact that it would be increasing year over year how it's going to be reported the news like it would it would raise the minimum wage to eleven dollars but not for like three years and so um anyway yeah so i just spelled it out it goes up a little bit each of the next three years to a maximum of eleven dollars um that's a hotly contested one as well oh what the the minimum wage yeah just that issue yeah Mm -hmm. but then again like I mean, do I think it's a great bill? Yeah. I mean, do I think it's going to be signed into law? No. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. <laughs> so this is the this is the stratagem, is that what you said? Yeah, like this is, I mean. So that's a conjugation with which I'm not familiar. Yeah. Uh, um, I think Representative Ben is a, is a great representative. I think this is a great bill. I think it has very little chance of becoming law for both political and ideological reasons. Right. Also, it's uh, kind of nice to just have to refer to one Representative Bennett. Right, not Bennett with the good hair. It's true. Yeah, it's true. All right, so our next one on the on the game is uh, House Joint Resolution ten twenty seven. Now, Scott, I will argue that for me personally, this is the one I'm watching the most closely this year. Um, this is from Representative Pfeiffer, and I, let's highlight this is a joint resolution. The next one we're going to talk about are also joint resolutions. Those are different than regular bills. Yes, if you want to be real technical with the rules of the game. Neither of these will be signed into law because both of them, if they pass the houses, will go to a vote of the people. Right. And I, I will specify that in the game so that you, you dear listeners and, and uh, educated game players will know that these don't actually go to the governor's desk. They go to a vote of the people. Right. So they would be constitutional amendments and thus require a vote of the people, which is an interesting thing because they could potentially be additional state questions on the ballot this year, right? Uh, So House Joint Resolution 1027 from Representative Pfeiffer would basically double the number of signatures required for initiative petitions. So it would change the formula for the number of signatures you need. Uh, Right now, the formula is a percentage that is based on the total, on the voter turnout in the last gubernatorial election. So you need 8%. For a like a statute or regular law change, you need 15% for a constitutional amendment. Um, this would change that from a percentage of voter turnout to a percentage of the total number of registered voters in the state. So, um, as an example, because I I looked into this for voter turnout, it would actually do two things. That's that's the most notable one, um, but it would. So, uh, excuse me. Let's see. For a con- a constitutional amendment, right now, you need one hundred and seventy eight thousand signatures. Um, under this joint resolution, you would need roughly three hundred and fourteen thousand signatures. You would still have to get those signatures in ninety days. And so, many folks, myself included, would say that if this passed by a vote of the people, it would essentially eradicate the initiative petition process in Oklahoma. It would make it almost impossible for us to get anything passed um, as a as a as a vote of the people as direct democracy. 
Yeah. And the argument in favor of this, of course, is that we do too much with initiative petitions that and we change the Constitution too often. That's the argument against it. The argument in favor of it is we have to have that process because our legislature doesn't do so many things that we want them to do. Right. Right. I mean, there's a there's a I think a distinct argument to be made that the reason we have the initiative petition process is that the framers of our state constitution recognize that the legislature might not always do the will of the people. And there may be laws that we want that they're unwilling to propose or hear or pass and thus it's up to us see marijuana comma medical see <laughs> right see medicaid ex- expansion comma medicaid <laughs> right i mean there's a number of things uh, criminal justice reform <laughs> right and even um well i guess that was an initial petition i was gonna say li- the liquor modernization but that was a a uh, legislatively referred measure as well all right we'll see the next one, this is uh, also a joint resolution. This is a joint, a joint resolution out of the Senate. There are several of these. The one I think that's going to be the vehicle where it goes is by Senator David, Kim David. Uh, this is a change to where TSET, the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust money, goes. So this is 20 years ago. There was a big lawsuit against tobacco companies. We won. The Attorney General of the state, uh, of the state at that time was uh, gubernatorial candidate Drew Edmondson, I believe, right? I think so. Yeah. Uh, and part of what they... You just unplugged my computer. Apologies. Um, we got this big settlement, this big pot of money. Um, there's like a billion dollars and it sits in a trust. And the revenue from that trust, this is the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust. The revenue from that trust is supposed to be used by TSET to do lots of things throughout Oklahoma that uh, combat use of tobacco and improve the health of Oklahoma. There's like a statute that says what you're supposed to do with TSET money. Um, recently, as the state has faced budget shortfalls and we've had a legislature that is uh, reluctant to pass tax increases. They are looking anywhere they can find uh, to see if there's money. And when they see TSET, they see a giant pot of money that they would love to spend and say that they're using to improve the lives of Oklahomans without having to raise anybody's taxes. And so this year there's, there's always bills to try and redirect TSET funds. Uh, This year is no different. One thing that's notable is that this year, uh, a hot topic <coughs> is using TSET revenue to fund the state part of Medicaid expansion. Um, should mm. the governor's plan for Medicaid expansion uh, happen, that's going to be a topic for another day. But that's one of the things that this would do is that uh, the TSET money, instead of being going and being dispersed by the Tobacco Settlement Endowment Trust according to its mandate, uh, it would glow and flow into the General Revenue Fund and the legislature could spend it how they want and how they think is best. The other big argument for this is they say they want to use it to help rural hospitals and they want to take that TSET money and put it into rural hospital hospital operations to keep those hospitals open. Yeah, so. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of discord in the capital and otherwise among folks who feel like the, the way that the TSET has handled their money is not in the public interest and maybe not in the spirit of what was passed. And so also the legislature likes to be the ones to control the purse strings for most everything. And if the legislature can find a way to get money to spend where they don't have to raise taxes, that's like, that's, that's ideal. Right. Right. So this, um, for, the, for the legislature. Right. Right. <laughs> let, me, let me be clear. They got more money to spend. Who doesn't like that? Right. So this is uh this is we listed two joint resolutions here. One is from Senator McCourtney, and one is from Senator Kim David, who is the Appropriations Chair. Um, and McCourtney is recently named the chair of the uh, Health and Human Services Committee. So these are being proposed by two uh, ranking members of the Senate. If that's any indication of what what might happen with the bill, indeed. Um, listeners, pro tip: 
leadership bills tend to make it through. Indeed. Because they control the committees. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. So next, who's next? Me. Um, so this would be Senate Bill 1723 from Julia Kurt. I think we have three of her bills on here. We do indeed. That's because I live in her district and I, I visited with her. Also, I'll be honest, I think in my opinion, she's approved some very common sense legislation this year. Um, this one, 1723, would require all elected and appointed public officials to make the same financial disclosures to the Ethics Commission. So right now, it's mostly just elected public officials, right? People who run for office have to make certain disclosures to the Ethics Commission. However, with the shift in how things have happened, um, where the governor now has appointment authority for a number of statewide positions, this bill would basically like, it used to be that they were elected and thus they had to disclose. Now they're appointed and there's not a rule for that. So she's saying, listen, if just because they're appointed doesn't mean they shouldn't have to disclose, this should all be disclosed. What do you think is going to happen? Do you, I'm, I'm asking you, what do you think, what do you think is going to happen on this one? That's, I mean, <laughs> I guess this is where I, um, what I want to happen and what right. I think will happen is different. I, the spirit of the law is good. I right. bet this makes it out of the Senate over to the house and dies and dies on party lines. Right. Cause they're going to, this is listeners. This is what I call political bullshit. Um, where things get voted down on party lines because it's a, someone makes it a partisan issue. And if it was flipped, if the, if the power differential, it might, it might still get voted down on party lines. Right. It would, but it's not about the parties. Like people will be like, well, this is cause they don't like that. The Republican governor appointed these people. I'm like, Bullshit. We don't like that he appointed the, the governor, regardless of who it is, appointed anybody, right? Yeah. Um, and, and honestly, like, I, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the appointment thing. I don't care a terrible amount, but um, I like, I tell you what I like about this. I like the transparency. And if I, if it was me, right? If I mean, Commissioner Terry White just stepped down. So if the governor called me tomorrow and said, Andy, I, w- I want you to be our commissioner of the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. Because you're the right person for the job. You're the right person. We're going to make Oklahoma a top 10 state. I would uh, think long and hard about it because that's a dream job for me. That's a big deal. I would also recognize that like, if this law passed, like, oh, snap, I got to disclose my per- personal finances, which is not much. It's like uh, a, a two quarters and like a piece of lint, I think, mostly. But like, <laughs> if, if I had to do that, that's something to reckon with right and i and i'm pro transparency even when it's uncomfortable that's what i'm saying yeah no man i agree i i agree with everything is with everything you said including the fact that it's not gonna happen i'll tell you what i'm voting for this the same way i root for the cowboys every year (laughs) (laughs) all right next up uh also by some uh by senator kurt is a bill that requires this is senate bill 1499 this requires all members of the legislature to receive at least four hours of ethics training per year. Which is funny that they're not already required to have ethics training. Agreed. Um, Are you as a physician? I mean, you have to no. get You have to get CMEs, right? Yeah, we have to, we have to do CMEs, but it, does, it doesn't have to be ethics. ethics. Really? No. Huh. So as a counselor, well, I got to think about this because it's 2020 now. But so each year as for my counseling license, I have yeah. to get uh, six hours of ethics. I have to get three hours of regular ethics and then three hours of uh, LPC supervisor ethics. Yeah. Which some people say can be the same three hours. And I'm not certain. So I always get six because I'd rather err on the side of more ethics. 
I mean, I think this is a great bill. I think it also, um, this, I think this is not going to happen. Um, I think, I think it has the chance of becoming a partisan bill. Like you said, I also think though, it is not going to happen because it has to pass the legislature and it requires the members of the legislature to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, the, the legislature is reluctant to pass bills that puts a burden on themselves. They indeed, they are indeed. Although we'll get to a few other bills that would place some burdens on the legislature that I'm kind of interested in. What's funny to me, and I've said this, I think off and on on the podcast before is that whichever, I don't want, well, let me think out of phrases. I, I don't understand, Scott, why one of the parties, I don't care which one, one of the parties should be the party to step out and be like, we are the party of increased ethics. We want more stringent guidance. We want people to um, to keep us in check. We want more sunlight into what we're doing. We want more transparency. We're the party of ethical conduct among government. And I don't see either party stepping up to do that because it's a burden on them, right, either way. And so they, they pull back. And so I think bills like this, I mean, if you're the if you're the Republican majority, the public would love this. Why would you not vote for this? Because it requires you to undergo four hours of ethics training that you don't think you need. But this one's easy. You just sit there. No, dude, I agree. I'm just telling you, you why. You have to write a paper on it. That yeah. would be cool, though. Oh, what if they had to write papers and we get to read them? You should. You should. Research papers for legislators. You should talk I'm to Talk Add to, that to the agenda. Talk to offer it. it can be offered as an amendment. I will. All right. So uh, the next one is House Bill 2876, which is from Representative Dunnington, another friend of the pod. Um, also happens to be both Scott and I's representative at this time. Um, representative Dunnington is seeking to abolish the death penalty in Oklahoma. Scott, has the death penalty in Oklahoma had a good rap the last few years uh that's a hard pass no <laughs> no the last time so the, the tell last us time, what's happened the last time we uh attempted to well i mean i guess we finished it so we didn't attempt um the last execution that we undertook in oklahoma took like 42 minutes um he was Is this the one that was quote botched yeah he was like writhing <sighs> in pain he was partially conscious i mean it was oh. it was awful it was terrible and what's happened is so more and more companies have declined to provide drugs that you can use to do this. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so they're buying drugs from other places that aren't vetted or they're buying the wrong thing. Or, I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's become a huge, it's become a huge mess. Um, but we also like pass some other means so that we don't have to just do lethal injection. We could gas them. Yeah. Um, there's, I, I believe this is, I'm getting into territory where I'm not a hundred percent comfortable, but I think that, um, there are constitutional debates about whether these constitute like cruel and unusual, mm-hmm, whether mm-hmm. the kind of gas we'd be using, um, you know, that's suffocating someone. Is that cruel and unusual? Like, are they, I mean, it's just, it gets, it's, um, it's very complicated to try and kill somebody without <laughs> causing them pain or suffering. Um, that's a hard, like it's an objectively it's hard a, thing it's to a, do. It's a bizarrely difficult process. Yeah. Um, it's also incredibly expensive. Um, mm-hmm. and it costs way, way more to execute somebody than it does to keep them in prison for life. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, for there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why the representative uh, filed this bill, but uh, there it is, HB 2876. I, I personally find the issue of capital punishment a little fascinating um, for those political reasons, right? Like it is more expensive. It is um, more difficult to do. There's all these considerations about it. uh, And yet we keep trying to do it, right? So that's the way it goes. All right. So up next, we've got 
Senate Bill 1348. So this is this is just an interesting bill because it's an interesting it's an interesting situation with this with this this little bill. This little bill's lost its mm. daddy. Um, <laughs> it has. Yeah. Uh, this is a the bill, author has resigned. This was a bill filed by Senator Smalley, who was previously the chair of the uh, Senate HHS committee. Um, however, Senator Smalley has resigned. Uh, and so his bills are all, they're all kind of dead. I think, I think what happens, they've, re- they, they've reassigned a bunch of, they them. go to rules automatically, but then, uh, I think, which is where bills go to die. I think the they have part. to be reassigned and they've reassigned a bunch of them, but not all. Oh, to, to different senators. I, as I look through them, yeah, I saw that yeah. they had reassigned a number. Um, so this adds HIV to the list of required screenings for all pregnant women. Um, so in order for this bill to get heard, it has to have a, it has to have a person, a sponsor, um, I think this is one. Uh, this is my this is my hint for this bill. I think this is a bill that will one have a new sponsor and two will be assigned to Senate HHS. Is what I think. I think it'll pass. I'll I'll, I'll come out on a on a limb and talk about this one as uh, a as someone who is, as listeners well know, previously involved in the HIV community here in Oklahoma for a, a very long time. Do you know is this a is this a request bill from anybody? Like I don't from, know. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, not from us, not from the AIDS Care Fund, but I think um, it may be from someone else. But it's a common sense bill. So right now, uh, state law requires that all pregnant women are screened for syphilis, and this would add HIV to that, um, which makes a lot of sense. They got the blood. They could do the test real quick. Um, most most doctors do anyway, and that's the other thing. Like Most doctors do this test, and but this would just require it for those who don't. Yeah, good bill. Yeah. Um, so next, uh, we're going to get into a few that relate to the Open Meetings and Open Records Act. Um, Senate Bill 1154 from Senator Sharp would require that open records requests must be filled within 30 days. Or it, it says that. It's like all requests must be filled within 30 days unless the public body, the request did, request or, no, re- whatever, the public body who has to fulfill the request they can say, hey, listen, we need 30 extra days. So basically at most 60 days, which in many cases might be longer than they would take normally. Uh, but I think the intent here is good. Or in many cases, they just don't respond dramatically to dramatically less. Right? <laughs> yes. So I, Senator Sharp, this is a big deal for him. He's he's actually a decent transparency, government transparency guy. Uh, and so I, I think from the conversations that, that we at FOI Oklahoma have had, um, this is a well-intentioned bill and would be a a huge step for Oklahoma. Similarly, uh, the next one makes the judicial. This is uh, Senate Bill 1801 from Senator Daniels. A lot of Senate bills. We're doing a lot of Senate bills. That's true. Uh, Well, they can propose more than the House. It's true. Well, I mean, the House members have a rule of six. A lot of them propose like 25, but... The House? Yeah. So House members are only supposed to to be allowed to propose six bills. Mm -hmm. But you said some propose 25? Yeah. Really? Just, Just do it. I didn't think you, man. Why do they even have rules up there? Yeah, man. I know. It's like just well, I, th- I mean, leadership can do as many as they want, but I didn't know rank and file. That's nuts. Yeah. So uh, this would make the judicial nominating committee subject to the Open Meeting Act. So, um, just as a, a quick reminder, so the judicial nominating committee. This is where nominees for the state supreme court and I believe the state courts of appeal as well come from. I can't not remember about state uh, like district courts, but 
um, you know, if uh, the president of, of the United States has a vacancy on the Supreme Court, they can just put whoever they want to put there. They can pick somebody. It could, doesn't have to it doesn't have to be a lawyer. They could pick me. But it's, um, that's true. But it's different in yeah. in the state here. In the state, so uh, the governor, though, if there's an opening on the Supreme Court, um, the governor has to pick from a list of three candidates submitted to him by or her by the Judicial Nominating Commission, uh, and those candidates have to meet certain criteria. The Judicial Nominating Commission is a group of lawyers and other folk who come up with these names. Uh, this is an effort to try and make sure that all our nominees to the, the, the highest courts in the state are, you know, kind of well qualified and, and whatnot. So this would make the judicial nominating committee meetings subject to the open meeting act. Right. So basically in order for someone to be on the state Supreme court, they have to be, um, the, this committee gives the governor like you can pick from one of these three people yeah and then and then they either say yes i'll take this one or they say none of these bring me three more and reset yeah. so um and i didn't realize but they are one of the committees that has previously had a standing exemption to the open meeting act and so i'm again a proponent of transparency in government i think it's a good step um up next is house bill 3382 this is the only bill on our list that have has two authors already, Representatives Waldron and Provenzano. You skipped one. Did I? Oh, yes. son of a gun. House well, Bill 2914. Okay. Well, let's go back and do that one then. The next bill <laughs> is uh, uh, House Bill 2914 from Representative Ben Loring, and this would make the state legislature subject to the Open Meeting Act Excluding their party caucus meetings, I think you know how uh, how uh, Senator Inman has his uh, like Inman's law, right? That says the more the more publicity a bill gets before session, the less chance it has of being heard. I'm not familiar with that, but that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, uh, it's from uh, former Minority Leader Scott Inman. Uh, I'm going to say that based on our comments I've made earlier today, and then this one here, I'm coming up with my own. This is Melson's maxim. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, the <laughs> any bill that has to pass any 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 bill that requires the state legislature to do something that they don't concern currently do has very little chance of passage. Well, so this this is a, a big difference. This is not making the legislature subject to open records, which I would say is a much bigger fish. This would just make them subject to the Open Meeting Act. And really, the way this would play out is that they would have to pass, have to post notice twenty four hours in advance of any meetings and include the agenda. And they would not be allowed to do well. They would not be allowed without penalty. They wouldn't be allowed to do the thing that they do all, all the, the time, time. Right, right? Especially as it relates to the budget or any controversial right, bill. Right. Especially at the end of session. Right. They wouldn't be allowed to post an agenda at six o'clock on Thursday. Oh, meeting of the like health and human services committee mm-hmm. has been moved to this random room that no one knows where it is. Oh, and it's starting in 15 minutes. Right. Right. Which they do all the, all time. the time. Yeah. And so, and it, again, this boggles my mind that it's not that hard, right? You've got staff, you can do this. And I get that they, they don't not do it because it's too difficult. I know. <laughs> I know. But I'm just saying like, they do it because they don't want people there. Right. And they're always like, well, the, the negotiations that just happened and I'm like, okay, well there's, more than one way to skin a cat, as uh, my grandfather used to say, uh, that they could do it. Like, 24 hours notice is not that much notice. 
when it comes to, I don't know, an $8 billion state budget. In my mind. Call me crazy. Agree, man. Like, you're... You're you're right. I'm just telling you, this is the Melson Maxim bill. Okay. Right. This is, there's no chance. Melson's Maxim. V- vote I your just, conscience. I just came up with that. Vote your conscience, everyone. All right, Scott, you can do the one with the two authors. Uh, this is uh, House Bill 3382, Representatives Waldron and Provenzano, that creates the Teachers Loan Repayment Program. I do not know the details of the teacher's (laughs) loan repayment program. I wonder, though, if it is similar to, like, the Physician Manpower Training Corporation or, like, Physician Loan Repayment Program, which basically says that you, um, like, for doctors, so if you go practice in an underserved area, you can Mm -hmm. get a huge chunk of your school loans paid back. Mm -hmm. Um, My guess is that this is similar. If you go educate in an area that needs educators, you can have a big proportion of your student loans paid back. I don't, you know, now that I've read a bunch of bills today, it's a little fuzzy in my brain, but I'm pretty sure that it didn't have a geographic requirement. It was just if you were went into public school teaching and you taught, it's a, so it's a five-year program from 2021 to 2026. So if you teach for at least one whole year in there, you can get a portion of your, some of your student loans um, paid off. It would be, and it's subject to how much money is appropriated to the program and all that stuff. So it very well could pass, and then they could appropriate no money to it. Yeah. However, they could accept private donations. So if um, I don't know George Kaiser, someone in our state wanted to donate a billion dollars, then it could last a long time. Um, so I think it's a, a well-intentioned bill. All right, um, House Bill twenty-seven ninety-one from Representative Ford would basically mandate that all children ages eight and older must be in a car seat or a booster seat and that all children ages 13 and older must be in the back seat. It's it's they have to be properly restrained is what it means. So it's a, a couple it, of jump ropes and some duct tape. Yeah. And then if they're 13 or 13 plus, they have to be in the back seat and belted. So this and is this is different than other states. Well, yeah, it's well, actually. So we had we had a seatbelt law on the books for a long time. Um, and a few years ago, it like came up for, I forget exactly what happened, but like it came up for renewal and somehow by accident, like this is, this is the crazy part about it. It wasn't on purpose. Like by accident, the part of the law that pertained to kids over eight got deleted. And so as of that point, Oklahoma is the only state in the union that doesn't have a seatbelt law for those kids. Last year, Senator Hicks ran a great bill that would essentially have restored that language and it failed. It met massive opposition from like parents' rights. Like you can't tell me like when I have to buckle my kid in the car. Um, <laughs> it's nonsense. Um, this year, there are like six, I think, six or seven bills that are trying to reinstate that language. Um, this one, kind of word on the street, is this one from Representative Ford is the one that's going to pass. Um, this is the one that's going to that's going to run the gauntlet. Um, I think it's going to pass. I think it's going to be signed into law. Um, and it's uh, it's not as good as it could be, but it's it's probably one of the best ones. And it uh, it's not as good as it could be because it doesn't have a height requirement, which is what it should have according to the AAP. But um, mm. this would this would be a step in the right direction for sure. Right. Well, it's interesting. I'm glad you gave me that feedback about what happened with Senator Hicks' bill last year, because um, now I'm conflicted about this. Because as I as I joked with one of our intrepid Capitol reporters earlier today. If there's one thing that we all know about how stuff's going to go down at the state capitol is that none of us know how things are going to go down at the state capitol, right? Like it's always we bills that seem to be totally common sense will will not be heard or will lose, and then bills that are on the fringe will somehow make it through. 
Um, all right, so the next one is Senate Bill 1840 from Senate Majority Leader Greg Treat, pro tem Greg Treat, and that bill would require all state agencies, except for higher ed, to get approval from the governor's office to apply before they apply for any grant over $50,000. And the, the premise behind this, Scott, is that that agencies will sometimes go apply for money and say, we'll get this $50,000 and it's a one-year grant. And then the grant runs out and then the agency's like, wow, we got to have money to keep this program going. And they're trying to say like, listen, as an agency, we need to have a little foresight and think through these things and not just have folks going out applying for grants willy-nilly. Having written a number of federal grants, I, I know from my experience that there's a lot of grants out there that say you have to say what you're going to do. And then you also have to, in the grant, um, say how you're going to continue this program moving forward, even if it's a one-year funding. And my program would not apply for those because we didn't know how we were going to continue it. But I'm willing to bet that some folks do. Yeah. So we have bills that are known as good government bills. This is what this is what I would call a bad government bill. This is basically, this is keeping agency directors from applying for grants to have like start programs or experiment with programs in Oklahoma, then find out that they work. Cause what's happened in the past is that they've applied for a grant. They've started a new program and it's been wildly successful. And then they go to the legislature and ask for money and say, look how, look how, look how successful this is. And the legislature says, yeah, we're not going to, we're not going to fund that. But not only are we not like, we're not going to fund it, but you're going to make us look bad for not funding it. Uh, Um, And that's, yeah. So this is Melson's maxim legislature doesn't want to do things that require them to do something this is i mean this is this is basically saying you can't end run the legislature you can't go find other money do something that works and then come make the legislature look bad for not funding your thing that works right um just to go back real quick to uh representative ford's bill the the bill summary so this would require child passengers between 8 and 12 years of age who are in motor vehicles they have to ride in the rear seat where available and in a proper child restraint system booster seat or seat belt and then kids over 13 have to be belted so that's the like the seat belt yes not just like a leather right belt correct so that's what the that's a, that's what the well, we're just going to strap them down there in the back of the brat that's the language on the on the seat belt belt but you remember the Subaru um, brat whatever happened to those I, you know, it's a great question. You're I saw you're a Subaru ambassador. You should know. I am. They still sell them in South America. Actually, they're called the Baja. Um, they sold them here for a while. I will also say that, uh, relatedly, the car truck combo vehicles. I saw a beautiful um, El Camino the other day, and I it had like a hood scoop. It was tricked out. It was, I was like, you know what? I would still drive that. You know, I've never seen a beautiful El Camino. <laughs> I mean, the I will say like the... I don't, I don't think it's a thing. It is. So late 60s, early 70s model, that it was basically the, the Chevelle body style. Those were good looking. When they got later into like the 80s, those were a little uglier. But the early ones were really cool looking. I had a friend in high school who had one he was restoring and we all made fun of him that he was rec- restoring an El Camino. And he's like, dude, it's because it's, 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 cla- it's a classic. And we're like, dude, this is like... It drives like a car, but you can haul stuff. It's <laughs> tremendous. Same with the Ford Ranchero. Um, our friend, mutual friend... I, he hasn't been on the pod. We should get him. Uh, Abel Blakely from Savory Spice. Oh, we totally should get him on the pod. He he has a ranchero. We should have an episode just about that. We should. Um, last thing that we can say about Senate Bill 1840. Um, so as you're making your, uh, like I said, guys, this is, this is a bad government bill in my opinion. It's also being run by the 
by the uh, pro tem of the Senate. So mm-hmm. just factor that into your calculations. When, Arguably <laughs> the most powerful person in the legislature this year. Yeah. Right? So when it's being when it's being run by the pro tem of the Senate, you can think about where the what, what do you think its chances are. Mm-hmm. Um, next up is a this is a. Um, a truly awful bill. <laughs> um, Scott, how do you really feel? This is a, uh, this is Senate bill 1819. This is by Senator Dom. Um, I put this on the list mostly to call attention to it. And if this is a bill that if you're so inclined, um, feel free to contact your, to contact your legislator. Um, this would prohibit uh, hormone therapy or gender reassignment surgery for trans teens that are under the age of 18. Um, it would criminalize it. So if doctors were to provide hormone hormone therapy for these trans kids, um, they could go to jail. Um, this is a bill very similar, if not identical, to a bill that was passed in South Dakota, which makes me think it's an ALEC bill, American Legislative Exchange Council. Um, that goes One of those copy and paste bills, if you will. Yeah, they go around the country um, with with bills like this, trying to get uh, get state legislators to, legislatures to pass them. Um, man, you know, I know this is an issue that gets a lot of attention, and I know that um, it can engender a lot of strong feelings. Um, I think that there are reasonable questions to ask about whether, you know, there are reasonable questions about who hormone therapy and certainly surgery is appropriate for um but like i i am i don't do hormone therapy because i'm a, not an endocrinologist i i think this i think if you're going to do hormone hormone therapy that you need to be like that's a that's a kind of out of my purview as a as a primary care doctor but um i have some kids that are treated for this and to take that away i think would be i mean this this is medicine that keeps kids from committing suicide right like it keeps mm-hmm. kids from um, out of the like depths of depression. Um, this is, this is a, this is a terrible bill that's trying to, um, criminalize, 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 not only just like a a medical procedure, but a a medical procedure that's actually recommended by the American association, American Academy of Pediatrics, by the endocrine society. Like this is except like, this is not like experimenting, right? This is like, it is funny that in the bill it says like, that doctors would be prevented or forbidden from providing any intervention used to treat and it like lists specific medical conditions. And it's like, well, that's a weird thing to legislate. Like this is a medical condition, but you're not allowed to treat it. And yeah. I, I get it. And I mean, we all, I think we all know that, uh, that Senator Dom is, has, a, is one of the most conservative members of the legislature and has a number of bills along these lines. We're not going to get into some of his yeah. other bills. It's, it's just this is and this is one of the I mean I think honestly what what frightens me about this bill is I think if it was heard just because of the party politics I think it might have a chance um, but I don't think it's going to get heard in committee so yeah, I think they just will avoid it yeah yeah I think it's I think what's going to happen is it won't get heard in committee and so it won't be an issue but it uh, it's it's upsetting for sure all right on a lighter note we've got two more bills left and these are both I think a little more fun. I, there was there's not as many fun bills this year. There's so really not. There were no bills about sunscreen. Only one bill that used the word feral to refer to an animal. And it's this bill, actually. Um, there were very few f- fun bills. Um, this one is Senate Bill 1746 from Senator Casey Murdoch um, up in... He lives in uh, like the Panhandle, like in a very tiny town. Four letters. Mm. 
I'll think of what it is in a second, but it's a very tiny town way out there. And I, this, this bill resonates with me a little bit. It would add coyotes to the list of, quote, nuisance wildlife that may be hunted at night using vehicle-mounted lights. There's no restrictions on carrying a flashlight and a gun and hunting that way, but this is called uh, highlighting is the, the phrase used. Um, this is a legitimate thing, right? Like coyotes are a legitimate nuisance for a number of ranchers. And when I was in high school down near Austin, we would go, as a group of us that would go out, we had some, um, a guy at our church that was a rancher and he had coyotes that would like injure his cattle and kill his cattle all the time. And so about twice a year we'd go camp out at his land and stay up all night and had one of those big, um, like 1 million candle power flashlight things and a little thing that played uh, a, a tape, a cassette tape. Listeners under the age of 30, do you know what a cassette tape is? Um, but it was called a Bunny in Distress, and it sounded like a little bunny yelping. We used it to draw them in. We never caught any. Oh, so it didn't work? Uh, it didn't work. We saw one, and a bunch of people shot a gun at it, and no one hit it, um, which speaks to the fact. Also, every time we went, no one ever brought any food, and so there'd be like six dudes camping all well, night. I think you were supposed to shoot the coyote. We're not going to eat the coyote. But the way it worked down there is that you, you kill the coyote, you cut off its right ear, and take it to the county courthouse, and they give you $25. So um, I go uh, spend some time. At, I spent some, a lot of time at follow when I was growing up, and I was out there recently. And um, there's a guy, and I thought, I was like, I wonder if it's still there. There's, it's still there. There's a fence line that you drive on. Uh, it's just east of uh, Highway 9, um, east of uh, east of Porham. And there's a farmer there. May drive along his fence. It's like coyote skins. Oh just yeah, like yeah. He's got uh-huh. Just hanging, hanging on the fence. This is a, um, let this be a lesson to you. That's right. It's like a that's a scene from Apocalypse Now. Right a little there. bit. Um, and then Scott, bring bill. us home there. Yeah, this is our last bill, most most fun bill. Uh, this is House Bill twenty nine ninety four by Representative. Is it Grego? 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 I think it's Grego. Yeah. This would legally define milk as, quote, milk and milk products of a cow, goat, or other hooved mammal. And this is for purposes of sale, right? Yeah. Uh, this is funny to me in the way it's worded. It's like, milk is only milk and milk products from these animals. Well, what about the milk and milk products from other animals? What do you call that? Yeah, well, I mean, mammals are the only ones that produce milk, right? But um, hooved, hooved mammals. So humans produce milk, but under his law, breast milk would not be allowed to be marketed as milk. Not yes. that it's marketed now, but what do you... <laughs> So you just can't buy it at the store. This is this, the the backstory behind this for you, you guys going what what on earth? Where is this coming from? So this is from the dairy lobby that does not want people to be able to buy uh, almond milk or soy milk or cashew milk or pea milk or oat. like oat milk. This is basically saying that those are uh, those are infringing upon milk's territory by masquerading as milk when they are in fact other types of liquid. Imposter milk. They're <laughs> not real milk. None, so. of that, none of that nut milk. Well, that is it for our tiebreaker. That's for, for the particular rama. For the tiebreaker, it will be guess the total number of bills that we signed into law this session. Uh, I got a number in my head. I'm not going to share with you what it is. Yeah, I. Um, so I think. Well, first of all, can I give an, an, a brief note about? various nut milks, alternative milks, as you will. Listeners, if you've never had a latte or other um, coffee beverage with oat milk, I encourage you to try it. Oat milk tastes basically like the milk in your bowl after you eat a bowl of cereal. 
I've heard it's fantastic. It's really pretty good. I don't know how they milk the oats, but it is really good in a coffee beverage, and I highly encourage it. Um, I know here in Oklahoma City, Elemental Coffee carries oat milk. I believe Starbucks might be carrying it as well now. I first had it in Chicago um, in one of those urban areas at a fancy coffee shop. But anyway, my this is my endorsement for oat milk. But also, I love cow milk, so, you know, whatever. Um, Scott, I look forward to reading your responses. As listeners, Scott and I are sitting here uh, opposite one another at a table. Both of us have been filling out our brackets, or whatever this is called, our predicto, predicto-rama. And I don't know what he's answered to all of these, and I, he doesn't know what I've answered to all of these. So we're going to submit ours, and then uh, we'll we'll open up a solicitation for another, we'll say, two weeks um, from this. So the first two weeks in February, you can respond, and then we're going to close down um, close down that, and we will um, then just sit back and wait with you and have a chance to really um, look at what happens this session. In the next few weeks, um, aside from having Bailey Perkins join us next week for our usual weekly recaps on what happens in the legislature, next week we'll look at the governor's State of the State address, because that'll happen on Monday, February 3rd. Um, and then after that, we'll just go into listen, listening to what happens each session, or each each week, kind of break it down as best we can. And um, when we get to the end, we'll we'll score this bad boy and see who, who wins. What do you? I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that the governor's opening statement is. It is clear after our first year in office, looking at criminal justice reform, at teacher pay raise, at the investments we've made in education. That's, this is a terrible governor state impression. <laughs> it is clear. It is clear that Oklahoma is on our way to being a top ten state. I think the the last half of that we'll we'll definitely hear top ten state. We'll probably hear Oklahoma's open for business. We'll probably yeah. Last year we did a, a version of OK Stop to talk about his thing. I don't know if we'll do that this week or not. Or I next week would vote that we do this. I have no doubt that you will. We'll see what we can do. All right. Well, thanks John Lovett for inventing OK Stop. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, thanks Scott for being here as always. Thanks listeners for joining us as well. Don't forget to subscribe and rate Let's Pod This on Apple Podcasts because that helps other folks discover us and become better informed. We are officially the longest running and highest rated podcast about Oklahoma politics and our goal is to make it a little more accessible and maybe even a little entertaining for everybody. Uh, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This Okay. Scott is at SC Melson. I, Andy, am at Andy OKC. You can go ahead and give Bailey Perkins a follow. She is at Bailey M. Perkins. Bailey Marie. Mary. Marzipan. I'm not sure. We'll find out next week. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. Our website is let's fix this okay.org. And there you can sign up for a newsletter, read our blog, find resources and details about upcoming events. We will have our capital day this year. We're going to do one because of the construction. It'll be in April, so details on that soon. You can also make a donation to help uh, help support our podcast, help support Let's Fix This. We've got a whole bunch of stuff coming out in the next six months. Guys, it's going to be incredibly exciting. Our podcast is produced and edited by Scott and me, and Let's Pod This as a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network. Our theme music, new this year, 
is called Rhino Funk by an artist named Sodown. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all Oklahomans to engage with their government. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Have a great week, everybody.